0: Welcome to Shared Instance, a podcast on iOS development by three iOS developers in Cincinnati, Ohio. I'm Sam Quarter.
1: I'm Alex Argo,
0: and I'm Alex Robinson. This is episode thirty-seven. Welcome, gentlemen. How's it going? How's it going? Good, good. So we have some follow-up from last episode. We uh, have a little bit more information about the Apple TV. Some of the things that we're missing, they're now showing up.
1: Yeah, we've got the Plex app out there now. I'm using it and loving it. Uh, So they got their review issues ironed out. The review issues I was talking about before are are still not ironed out, but I'm working on it. So wish me luck with that.
0: (laughs) Yeah, if only we could iron out our issues. Yeah. We could get Taylor Swift to write an open letter.
1: It seems to work with Eddie Q. I don't know. EDQ may not be the issue here, though.
0: <laughs> so also, we we got a few things that we're
2: missing from the App Store. now. categories out there. Yeah, we have top charts and categories. Currently, we only have entertainment and games as categories. At least last time I checked.
0: I still think there should be a fireplace category.
1: Yeah, just like the new shopping category on iOS, we need the, uh, <laughs> the fireplace <laughs> category on Apple TV, because it's about the same amount of apps, I think. But yeah, it's it's funny because uh, we were talking three months ago. The conversation it seemed like in the the Twitter sphere or whatever was like Apple sucks. They top charts are horrible. Uh, they make the App Store uh, just keep making the rich richer and, and all that stuff. They're horrible. They should get rid of them. And then Apple TV comes out, and we're like, where is our top charts? <laughs> we have nothing discoverable. <laughs> I thought that was yeah, kind
0: of well, ironic bad discoverability th- i guess is better than no discoverability
1: yeah but they're here now and keep getting apps so yeah maybe it's it's necessary evil or something
0: yeah there's probably a different better answer somewhere but we don't have it yet And it hasn't been revealed to us yet either
1: like a better answer for apple d- discovering our apps yeah well, the the tried and true answer is do your own damn marketing, I think. <laughs> Don't rely on Apple to do it for you. But that can be a pain in the butt, especially if, if you're like us. Like, we just want to write code for the most part.
0: Yeah, we, we do well at coding, developing. Interface design isn't always our thing. And marketing, for sure, is not always our thing. Yeah. So a few more things. Some things haven't really materialized yet. No uh, remote app for the iPhone. Kind of a shame.
1: Yeah, I I would have sworn like if we would have we were complaining about a variety of things that weren't here last episode, and if there's one thing that I was sure would be there any day now, it would have been the remote app update. But it's not there. I actually my second Apple TV arrived, and I it's sitting in the box still because I'm dreading putting all those passwords in again. <laughs> I think I might <laughs> just give it a little bit longer and hope that the remote app update comes out. <laughs> Seems kind of sad, but.
0: Oh, yeah. Putting those passwords in, that's horrible. It's a horrible experience.
1: I like I like it when some of the apps do the thing where you're like, go to this short URL and enter this code, and then you can enter your stuff on your phone. It's a lot nicer, but, yeah, it's horrible.
0: Yeah, I think the code is t- the way to go.
1: I think I need to like buy like the is the remote app update for iOS out yet dot com or something and just put a no out there. <laughs> Just to kind of make a point.
0: Big fat no.
1: Tweet it. Tweet it at the app store. I'm sure I would get lots of people behind me, <laughs> retweeting and stuff. Mm-hmm. We, we can't post the episode until I've done it. So,
0: so otherwise, somebody, Well, do you really care if somebody goes off and does it?
1: Yeah, I guess not. As long as, long as they keep it up to date, <laughs> we should be good. Probably won't be too hard to keep <laughs> up to date. But uh, another thing we were talking about was kind of how Crossy Road and other of the apps that are that like support multiplayer through a phone app are doing the remote stuff with no remote app update out there because for sure I thought that's how it was happening and clearly it's not. So have you guys looked into how that works at all?
0: So as near as I can tell, they're actually dropping down to a lower level in the networking stack and uh, using Bonjour directly rather than the multi-peer connectivity. And Apple has a, a sample app out there that demonstrates how to do this.
1: They do.
2: They do. Why wouldn't they
1: just? Why wouldn't they just give us multi peer connectivity then? That seems goofy.
2: <laughs> Back. Yeah, I'm not really sure. Yeah, I can't think of a reason why that would be problematic in terms of you know security vulnerabilities or
1: or even a business reason or anything like that.
2: Yeah. So the the sample app is called
0: WeTap, like W I T A P. And okay. it says it's a sample app, sample app that demonstrates peer-to-peer networking over Wi-Fi and Bluetooth. Using Bonjour, the application both advertises itself on the local network and displays a list of other instances on the network, which is basically multi-peer connectivity.
1: Well, I, I don't know if they've updated the APIs at all, but the last time I used Bonjour, it was just C library still. So I don't know if there's an Objective-C wrapper or if it's still that same...
0: The sample code itself, it's in Objective-C, so I imagine it's...
1: Well, you can wrap it, but right. maybe there's something better now. I should take a look again.
0: Yeah,
2: but that's a way to do it. We'll include a link to it in the show notes. And a follow-up to Alex's comment about entering passwords using a short link. Uh, Ben Sherman from NSScreencast.com has a nice write-up on how he did that for the NS ScreenCast TV app. And we can include a link for that as well
0: that sounds good
1: well since we're still talking about the uh the apple tv um i know uh offline alex you've you've mentioned some some strange behavior coming out of out of yours uh can you fill us in on that maybe some of our listeners have some suggestions on how to alleviate your issue
2: yeah i've got Two Apple TVs, and they both periodically turn the TV back on after putting them to sleep um, with no interaction. You know, the remote's on the table, off to the side, nobody's touching it. Uh, it's not like we're using a different remote in another room. It's it's just spontaneously turns on, sometimes in the middle of the night, which is quite annoying. So I've actually had to unplug the Apple TV at night to keep the TV from coming on. I'm curious if any of our listeners has had the same issue. I have not found any bug reports related to that yet, but uh maybe maybe it's just me, maybe it's the type of TV I have, I don't know, but
1: so you don't have pets, you don't have little enough kids that wouldn't know what they're doing or that are going to be up in your house in the middle of the night, could it be just like a big ass bug that's landing on your TV remote and <laughs> no. no.
2: <laughs> <I don't laughs> yeah. You know, it's got to be ha- something. Happened in the middle of dinner tonight, happened in the middle of the night last night. I'm not sure how long it was uh, after I turned the TV off. I was already asleep, and TV just came on on its own. So
1: how do you notice that that uh, the TV comes on in the middle of the night? Does it start playing some sound? or?
2: Well, the one in the bedroom wakes me
1: up. Okay, the uh, one in your room. All right, yeah, that would gr- do it.
2: Yeah. Uh, usually the whatever video or whatever app was playing is turned off, but sometimes it'll uh resume playing as well. What? So <laughs> it's, it's really weird. So I think you're that... making
1: this all up. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I think you're like sleep watching TV. <laughs> yeah. Huh. That's strange. I think you,
1: need, you need to... You need to get like a camera pointed at your remote to see what happens overnight, so you can like review the footage.
2: I don't think it's the remote. I mean, my best guess is, you know, there's a software update or an app updating, and somehow it triggers the uh, the Apple TV the wake up, which then wakes up the the TV itself.
1: It's got to be the remote. Yeah. Did you ever do the firmware update for your remote? I guess one of them you got...
2: No, not, not for the developer kit, but I also have one that was not a developer kit, so...
1: And you're experiencing the issue on, on both of them.
2: Yeah.
0: Hmm.
2: Same kind of TV on both? Or at least same uh, brand? Yes, I believe they're the same brand.
0: Maybe it's an issue in their, their uh, CEC
2: implementation. It could also be one of my neighbor's remotes. <laughs> I don't know. What? No. I mean, you'd probably need line of sight. Hmm. I don't think they, that would not be easy to do at my house. Some, but,
1: some neighborhood pranksters.
2: Yeah. <laughs> my son has a little gadget that can turn TVs on and off from a distance. But, it'll, you know, one of those uh, home wiring kit experiments that he had that he got for Christmas one year. But it wasn't him. And I don't think that would have worked with the Apple TV. Well, it does mm. have
0: an IR sensor. Yeah.
2: But you have to have a line of sight for that. Yeah. So, I don't know. It's a random issue. I hope it goes away soon. <laughs> maybe it's just me.
1: Well, we'll be sure to get updates on that whenever it's resolved so that everyone else knows how to make their Apple TVs not wake up from nowhere with, with nothing happening.
0: Yeah, it's not something I've heard about happening to other, any other people other than
2: you. I've searched around a little bit, haven't found anybody else reporting the same issue. So, maybe it is just me. So, you've had some other issues lately with
0: stack views.
2: Yeah, I'm working on a, a new layout, uh, I'm trying to use stack views with a UI collection view and dynamic cell heights for a multi-column layout. It's got a custom layout that I'm using. But the, the weird part with the using the stack view, um, you know, for the most part, it works well. But when I have an image inside the stack view that is supposed to be constrained to an aspect ratio, uh, when it calculates the size, for the height of the cell, it takes the original image size and does not constrain it to the aspect ratio.
1: Even if you have it like set to crop uh, or one of those yeah. like image resizing modes?
2: Yeah, I've tried several different image resize modes. And aspect fill is what I prefer to use uh, for this particular application. And yeah, it'll it'll take the original size of the image and use that to figure out the height of the, the cell. So if, I've had to resize the image and manually calculate the aspect ratio as part of the resize function uh, before laying it out.
1: Does it at least use the right aspect ratio with that size, or it doesn't even do that? So like it goes back to the original image size, and what happens It's hard to tell
2: because the sides are cut off, uh, so I don't know if it's the right aspect ratio or not. Uh, It takes the full height of the image and uses that.
1: So it's bigger than you want it to be?
2: Yeah, way bigger, because I'm using fairly large source images. It's a bummer. (laughs) Yeah, it's it's easy to work around now that I know what's going on. And thinking that there was something wrong with my constraints, uh, it turns out it was just the image was, you know, in a sense, breaking one of the constraints and causing the calculation to be off. But it wasn't what I was expecting to happen.
0: Stack views are kind of awkward to use sometimes when they have to
2: calculate their intrinsic
0: content size. It does the
2: best that it can, but... Yeah, so here it's calculating the intrinsic content size based on the size of the image and not factoring in aspect ratio constraint right and that's what the the image view is going to report back it's really the image view that's busting things yeah and i think i would have the same problem without using stack views
0: yeah i mean stack views are just nice ways around setting up a bunch of auto layout constraints for you
1: yeah, although it does just add a, another abstraction that you have to kind of figure out what exactly is going on underneath the abstraction as opposed to if you're just using auto layout, it'd be pretty obvious what was going on. Every time I hear someone talk about using stack views, it seems like it's like, oh, not good things happen. It's like regular
0: expressions where you have
1: two problems <laughs> now. Yeah. yeah.
2: I, I think there's definitely use cases where stack views make it easier. It's just figuring out you know, when to use them and when not to use them. Yeah.
0: Using them in scroll views is not very easy. I've pulled my hair out for, with issues on that for long periods of time.
1: Yeah, it seems like they're the new fancy thing and every, they're like, it's where everyone tries to use the, the one tool that they have for everything, which may not be appropriate for. Uh, may, I, hopefully we'll figure out when and when not to use stack views soon and it'll be more obvious, but. We'll get there.
0: Just what you need to do to actually make them work in yeah. these little esoteric situations, you really have to employ some more advanced features of Auto
2: Layout to get things working the way you like it. You definitely need to get familiar with content hugging constraints and compression resistant constraints as well. Right, that's a big that's a big one, which I guess is why they featured some of that
0: stuff in there in the WWDC sessions. What was that the Demystifying auto layout something like that.
2: Yeah, that was a. I, I forget the exact title of the session, but it was yeah. definitely one that everyone should go out and watch.
0: It was a part one and two, I believe, and so yeah, it, it goes through a lot of stuff like this. That once you understand it, it makes stack views easier to work with. But there's there's still they could still be beastly.
2: So one of the big benefits of Swift is type safety, uh, but where that tends to fall down today is all these string identifiers for segues and uh, reuse identifiers for um, different things in your storyboard, as well as, you know, strings and uh, for localization and a number of other things. Uh, so there's now several libraries written in Swift to help generate some code to make that more type safe.
1: Well, and yeah. that, that stuff bugged me in Objective-C, too, not just... Swift, but yeah, yeah, it's even more of a pain.
2: Yeah, so Android's had a tool for a while built into their platform that generates a lot of these kind of resource identifiers for you, and now there's uh, at least one library that's inspired by that, r.swift, and another library that has had some traction recently is SwiftGen, and they're very similar in concept, but they tackle slightly different aspects of the problem and integrate into the project in, in different ways have you guys looked at either of these two projects
1: i've looked into them a little bit although it's funny you just mentioned the uh what r swift how it is analogous to the r class in android and it never struck me until you just mentioned that but it makes complete sense why they named it that i was really <laughs> confused why why, why it was they called use
2: r
0: such a bad letter
1: yeah.
2: Yeah, the little bit of Android development I've done, it was always kind of confusing for me, especially back when the tools were a little bit arcane built on top of Eclipse and not knowing when or how to trigger the generation of this these magic R uh assets.
0: Yeah, sometimes you would write some code trying to access one of these R values and it wouldn't compile and then you'd have to rebuild your project then it would com- finally compile so the the feedback loop was a little
2: obtuse yeah, i think now with the the tooling on android that's less of a problem but it definitely caused me some friction in the eclipse days but now we get get to have that fun on xcode uh, with swift or you can just go to stringly type code and stay there and this is definitely i think this is definitely a good approach, being able to generate uh, enums and, and such based on these string values that are sprinkled throughout our code today. It's a much better
0: idea than, than the magic strings that we throw in our code everywhere. And this one this one will also read segues out of storyboards. Is that correct?
2: Yes. Uh, so they both work a little bit different. So r.swift, you can integrate into your project that through CocoaPods probably works with Carthage as well and then you can set up a build phase uh, run script that will then interrogate your storyboards and various other assets and create enums for you for those assets and r.swift can deal with storyboards it'll create methods for instantiating uh, view controllers for your storyboard
1: the stuff in your asset catalogs
2: yeah, images, uh custom fonts, uh nibs, uh resource files, segues, as you mentioned. Uh so a number of things.
1: And when you want to use them, you just basically do r dot whatever the thing is, dot the strongly type name.
2: Yeah. And uh there's uh you can do a runtime validation with r dot validate. Uh, to check to see if the images used in your storyboards are available and uh, view controllers with storyboard identifiers can be loaded. Uh, so it, it's kind of nice. Um, SwiftGen, in addition to many of these things, also can do work with your localized strings, so it can create enums for your strings. Uh, it can also You can have a text file with a list of your colors in different formats, and it'll create an enum for... The colors that you use throughout your app. It does not uh, deal with the actual uh, view controllers in your storyboard. Uh, so it'll get the segues out and storyboard names, but it won't create helper methods for instantiating your view controllers, as far as I can tell. Um, and that's actually a little bit problematic with R Swift because it will only import UI kit. So if you reference a view controller, say the AV player view controller, that's actually, you need a, an additional import for AV kit. Or if you have a third party view controller that's in a, another module or, or a framework, you would need to import that as well. And right now there's no way of modifying the import statements as part of the build process. But I I did log an issue with the developer asking for an option to, to add additional imports.
1: And this is for R dot swift
2: yes yeah R swift i uh, because it tries to instantiate a typed uh, view controller it uh, can break if you're if it needs and imports if it's uh using a view controller that's not a standard UI kit view controller hmm. or something that's in your project that's in the scope of the project a little bit of an edge case there, but something to be aware of some
0: somewhat of an edge case because like you said the, the a v kit is not uncommon out there there's plenty of apps that could that would use that
2: certainly yeah you could always subclass that view controller with one inside your project and to get around it seems like it that shouldn't really be necessary but that would be one option
0: yeah though so apple specifically does say that you should not subclass the av player view controller does they don't support that at all but even for things that are like in-game
2: kit, those could be important to use. Yeah, OpenGL is another one that you need additional imports for. So they're aware of the issue and they have it on their backlog to work on it. Um, but it's not there yet. Now, because SwiftGen doesn't deal with the view controllers, it doesn't have that that issue. And SwiftGen works a little bit differently in that you install it with Brew, so it's kind of a a global utility that you can access command line. It's, it's written in Swift as well, but it's a command line tool that you can generate assets. You can pick and choose what assets you want to generate enums for. And I imagine you could also create a run script with SwiftGen as well.
1: well yeah, and it, So it looks like it does do stuff with storyboards and their scenes, like generate segs and like the storyboard itself and the scene names and all, and all that stuff.
2: Yeah, so we'll- it just doesn't have a convenience method for instantiating a specific type of view controller based on the identifier.
1: Gotcha. Okay, that makes sense.
2: But that's really just, what, one or two lines of code? Yeah, you're not saving a whole lot, especially... You're eliminating the biggest issue, and that's using a string uh, for that could easily have a typo in it, where right. this will generate, the sh- from the storyboard, generate an enum with that string for you, so... You don't have to worry about it if you change the name in your storyboard, but forget to change your code. Um, as long as you rerun the script, everything gets updated and you're fine.
1: So it seems like, like at a high level, comparing the two, that SwiftGen does more stuff, but the API is not as user friendly. Would that be fair to say, or do they just do different things?
2: And there's probably an eighty percent overlap in what they do. Yeah. You know, again, SwiftGen deals with your localized strings and colors, and r.swift will deal with uh, helper methods for few controllers, and it'll try and discover fonts for you as well.
1: So in their uh, documentation, r.swift has, uh, why should I choose r.swift over you know alternative X or Y? And one thing that seems nice is they uh, look in your Xcode project file for the resources instead of uh, how SwiftGen works, which is you you have to like tell it if you're generating stuff first to look for storyboards. You need to tell it what directory that they're in. It doesn't have that knowledge of your actual project. So it's a little bit more complicated to generate the stuff too if you're using SwiftGen.
0: Yes. You would think you would be able to just do a file glob and look through all recursive subdirectories for that kind of stuff.
1: Well, but it may not be in your... it may not be something in your directory is in your project like if you've got shared code bases or something like that or you have an image that's you you know is like some raw thing you use to generate something else I don't know um, but it seems like there's cases where there are things that you do and don't want that are in the folder structure of your project like maybe your icon file you don't want that to show up in your in your app <laughs> right right but it seems kind of nice that that r.swift knows exactly what you want to include
2: yeah and it's also nice that you don't have to do any setup outside of adding it to your coco pods your pod file so other teammates don't have to worry about installing a utility and keeping it keeping the version up to date so it can all be managed uh, within that pod file which is nice
0: if you were going to choose one which would you go with
2: i think right now i'd probably pick r.swift just because of the way it integrates into the project
0: Okay.
1: Yeah, I think you've convinced me as well.
2: It does sound pretty nice. But I, I, I will say that I do like the fact that SwiftGen deals with the localized strings. In the last project I did where we had eight languages, I created my own enums for the the string keys. And it would have been nice to have a utility to generate that for me.
0: I to say, that sounds tedious.
2: You can certainly, like, you know, there's a built-in utility that find all your NS localized string calls and create your string file for you. But I like having an enum or a struct that has all those keys in one place. And I like having a fairly consistent convention for the key names. Right. Seems like you could whip that
0: out pretty quickly with a little Ruby script or even
2: set an awk. You can easily parse the storyboard to find that. SwiftGen obviously does that. So there's probably a place for both of these tools.
0: Right. But for the part, for the one that doesn't do the localized strings, that's, you could do that with set and awk in, in a few lines of code. Yeah. If you didn't want to touch full fledged scripting
1: language.
2: Or you could fork R. swift, add the feature into it and uh, do a pull request, which I might do one of these days if I find time.
1: That seems like the better way to do it.
2: <laughs> yeah. I will say one of the advantages that Swift Gen has in addition to that is it has template files for the code that it generates. And you can modify those template files to structure the code however you want. So if you don't like the code that it generates, you can change it uh, just by changing the templates. And those templates, I believe, go into a a shared library folder. So uh, it's outside of the SwiftGen code. So um, you can manage those templates yourself.
1: It's kind of intriguing. So speaking of all these fun localization strings that that you have to deal with, I I bet someone who had to deal with those a bunch were the makers makers of our app of the week, uh, Gus on the Go. Um, it's it's made by two people, uh, Yano and Alice. And I think Yano listens to the podcast, and we're probably saying his name wrong, but uh, so we apologize ahead of time. But it's a it's a cool app that kind of helps you uh, learn different uh, languages. Um, and I don't know. Do you want to tell us? A little bit about it, Alex, I think you've looked into it a little a little bit more than I have.
2: Yeah, well, we actually met Yano and Alice at the Release Notes conference uh, recently, so we had a chance to talk to them about the app and get to know them a little better. So it was great meeting a couple of our listeners and, and learning more about their project. And Gus on the Go is, is tailored towards young children uh, learning a second language, and it's an immersive, playful experience. Uh, very well done. Uh, multiple levels, kind of a a game approach to learning a language. Uh, there's no translations in the app. You just immediately get in, uh, pick a path, and uh, start playing games and learning new terms and doing match ups and things like that. Uh, lots of fun sounds and animations. Uh, very fun app, uh, and and you know probably well suited for adults as well trying to learn a new language. But highly recommend it if you have kids that are, want to learn a second language. Uh, it's, it's a great app, and currently they support several languages.
0: Looking at their looking at their app store pages, it's almost thirty languages. So you can pretty much pick the the one you want. They have uh, Polish and Taiwanese and Greek, Hindi, Chinese. Hebrew,
1: German, Cantonese. Yeah, they got all yeah. kinds of stuff.
0: It's it's quite a bit. <laughs> Pretty cool. They're definitely getting some code reuse out of this. Yeah. And
1: Hey, that's how that's how our apps work too. Nothing I mean, wrong with that. <laughs>
0: small shops, so that's what you got to do. It wouldn't make it wouldn't make sense to to try to recode it right. for all yeah. these different languages. Period.
1: Yeah, it's always good when you find that opportunity where you have a product and you can reuse 90% of the code or or whatever to to make another product.
0: Yeah, and they're they're multi-platform as well. It was interesting that they're They're in the Google Play Store and the uh, Amazon Store as well, as well as the the iOS App Store.
1: So if you have kids who are curious about learning languages, or if if you just want to, you know, delve into learning German, uh, check out Gus on the Go. We'll put a link in the show notes. Um, And I think that's... Pretty much all the time we have for this week. So why don't you guys tell us where we can find you on Twitter?
2: I'm at AJ Robinson.
0: And I'm at Sam Corder.
1: You can find me on Twitter at Alex Argo.
0: And the podcast is at Shared Inst. We also have an email address, Podcast at gmail.com, where we do look forward to receiving any feedback from you guys. And as always, ratings and reviews are very welcome on iTunes. I'll talk to you later, guys. Later.